you know what's funny? I've been like ready for this. I've been prepared for this, but like it's still kind of surreal to be having this conversation. I ain't gonna hold you, man. Though. Oh man, nah, I ain't nobody. <laughs> you actor, voice actor, producer, painter, journalist, Damn, singer, man. like dancer, teacher, spoken word, like. It's 30, like, like we're talking about 30 years like in this, yeah. this like it's true. Not it's true i appreciate it i appreciate it but yeah so everybody that's going to eventually be tuning in welcome to the black creators matter podcast and you know today's guest the infamous talented mr gary o'gray you know. <laughs> what up what up <laughs> but yeah, man. Thirty. What years. an intro! What an intro! <laughs> you deserve it. You deserve it. Thirty years in the game. You started out knowing Prep Milan, then you did went to New York. Your beginning into acting was the Cosby Show. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's iconic. Uh, you know, it 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 definitely it definitely was one of those things that I didn't realize how iconic it was when I was doing it. You know, obviously I was only three years old at the time, so. For me, it was just about having fun. I, I was explaining to, uh, you know, to it was explained to me in length, uh, you know, exhausting length, rather that this was a job as well as having fun. So with that, you know, I kind of just got my first little taste of, you know, being on set and it just didn't stop from then. I had already kind of understood the ins and outs of show business just, just through modeling, you know, um, in the short time that I did that before acting. Um, so, you know, it was really cool just for me to sort of graduate to, you know, from runway to to set. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Three years old, Cosby Show, Fresh Prince, Living Single, one of my favorite shows ever. Family Matters, like, you were Same. just everywhere. And, like, I don't think people, especially me, myself, like, until, like, recent more years just realized how ingrained you were in like my upbringing watching tv you know no no i mean i didn't even realize it either i think maybe two years ago i i posted a a tweet and i realized that i did all of those well the major black sitcoms really before i turned seven you know and so i was just like and i think if i'm not mistaken i might be one of the only uh black male actors to be on all of them you know um you know the majors you got the live like i said the like you said the living singles uh family matters fresh prince and cosby um you know and that's just to me just a, an achievement in itself if i stopped then you know if i stopped it there i'd be like man that's a career right there you know so what people strive for is to get on those shows or to be seen on shows that are that iconic so the fact that i did all of those in the you know what do they call it the uh sunrise or of my career you know I heard about the twilight but I guess I guess sunrise is the other end of that but um yeah it just you know it's really just kind of uh cool to to think about uh, I was really a part of a lot of people's sort of upbringing because those were the shows you watched when you came home from school or you know if you, your parents were actually watching a show as a family it's probably one of those you know so uh, I feel really grateful to be in everybody's households at such a young age it's one thing to watch, but it's another thing because you were an actual person doing it. So what was that kind of balance like? Like, you know, being on TV, but also like you're still a kid. So, you know, you still have to 
go through mm-hmm. the ins and outs, the challenges of being a kid and, and essentially growing up in front right. of everybody's eyes. You know, it was uh, it was really it was really kind of surreal uh, for me once I realized sort of the importance of everything. You know, once you really kind of. You know, during Cosby, the first couple of weeks, you know, it's just rehearsals and stuff and you're acting. So you're just like whatever. And then, you know, you get into being on the show for a couple of months and then it was like, okay, I can't go to the toy store without, you know, being mobbed, you know. So it kind of got to the point where I was realizing a couple of things, even at a young age, you know, and just realizing the importance of who I was on set with, you know, even from, uh, you know, uh, from Bill to even the, the cast of Fresh Prince, like you look at all of those people and how they've grown and it was just like whoa like that's that's insane like I was really on set with Will you know before he was even he was Will Smith then but it's like he even got to a bigger Will Smith and it's like I you know like I said just thankful it's just really just the thing I, I always tell people I feel like I've lived 10 lives you know because of looking back and realizing how all of those were such a sort of you know so surreal and solid part of my life where I felt like man this is what I'm doing you know right now and it's just like they exist like little pockets of just history for me because it's just like man I really did that (laughs) you know so uh, but yeah no it was really cool just to you know and then obviously growing up uh, into uh, Disney and Nickelodeon and stuff that it was even you know more of a change because you go from the black sitcoms that are in everybody's household to the you know Nick and Disney being even more worldwide um than those projects were and you know you know you talk to anybody and they've you know seen fairly odd parents or at least know of it you know and so on and so forth so just really cool I'm just really thankful for all the stuff that I've done <laughs> oh you've done a lot we definitely going to talk about that Disney because I, I think that's kind of interesting because I'm like y'all don't got beef but you know we're going to talk about it <laughs> right, uh, right, right, right. but like I never even thought about that like being a child and you you making money and like you know when I'm young you trying to go to Toys R Rest like you can't even go to that I never would have thought about that yeah no there was definitely times of uh, that I remember vividly from you know being in New York shooting Cosby because that's where we shot it and you know just going downtown and trying to you know get you know something you know (laughs) because we lived on Roosevelt Island so we'd always have to take the tram into town so it was always a thing and it was cool because on Roosevelt Island there wasn't really many people or many sort of housing developments at the time so it was kind of like its own little world back then so I didn't really you know I could walk around Roosevelt Island easily but soon as I got into town you know cross it over in Queens and stuff like that you go to Brooklyn it's like it's it's insane so but my my sort of parents and my team always tried to make sure that I had as normal of a you know upbringing as possible um regardless of all the stuff like that it was always like we want to make sure that you feel like a kid so eventually I got those toys (laughs) and was able to shop and everything so I can't complain (laughs) I remember last time we had talked you like how you kind of like the the black sheep but family because a lot of your uh family was like law enforcement and things like that Mm -hmm. and you wanted to do this so I think it's kind of a good notable thing to recognize you know you have parents that saw this in you and wanted Mm -hmm. to kind of support you in this Mm -hmm. creative endeavor you know because many times especially you know in our community it's like oh, that's not going to be a real job. You got to get a real job. You have to do this, you have to do that, you know? Especially at that time. I think now it's more viable. You get more Black parents, 
you know, willing to sort of see what social media and stuff like that has to offer gaming, all those kinds of taboo things that used to not be okay to do in the black community. <laughs> but I feel like, um, I feel like now, I don't know, I feel like it's different than how it was before. Because like you said, before it was like, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't want you to be an actor, go get a real job, you know, <laughs> go work at the post office, you know. So uh, that's kind of, you know, it was definitely a challenge at first. But, um, you know, I think that my parents just didn't have a choice. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't give them a choice. I didn't give them a chance to say no. It was started very early. I was very adamant. I was very uh, advanced uh, for my age intellectually. So I was telling my parents, like, no, I know you think that I don't want to do this, but I do, you know. Um, so, you know, very much different than the normal child, like being like, I want to be famous or, you know, <laughs> just acting like they want to just be a star. I was literally telling my parents the steps like, no, we need to do this because I want to do this because I want to be here and I want to do these things. So, yeah, they just didn't have a choice, <laughs> unfortunately. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, did you ever like see as a child, like your career going in the path that is there and you now kind of saying like, yeah, you kind of, you saw it because you, this is what you wanted to do. You knew you wanted to do that. You knew you wanted to, you didn't want, you know? So like, I think yeah. that's very intuitive to have at such a young age. Yeah, I, I definitely knew very early. I was put into charm school pretty early. I was also just the, the fact that I was advanced in school um, really helped a lot um, because it allowed my parents to kind of treat me different. You know, it wasn't like we're speaking to this kindergartner. It was like, well, this three year old literally couldn't go to kindergarten because he was too, too advanced and he started first grade at three. So what are we to tell him, you know, that he doesn't exactly know what he's talking about? Clearly, he knows some stuff, you know. So I think that it was more so that my parents were just like, he's already showing those signs of being something different than even we are, you know, as a family. So we have to sort of take that into account. So, yeah, I was really lucky. I was really lucky because, like you said, it doesn't always turn out that way for sure. Things online how it needed to be, you know, for you yeah. to be going. Well, I think it was destined. My my uh my my grandmother, supposedly there's a story with my mom. Uh, she says that. Um, when she told my my grandmother, who I never got to meet, um, she said when she got home to tell her that she was pregnant, my grandmother put her hand on my belly and she was like, oh, this one's going to be a star. That's supposedly literally by word that what she said. And so I was, you know, once I got told that when I was told, I was just like, well, <laughs> I guess so. Thanks, grandma. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, it's just those kind of things that you feel like it's it's just meant for you to do, you know, um, things that come very easily to you, things that are, you're passionate about. And that's always been the case. I've always been passionate about talking to people uh, and, and connecting with people. And I think that acting, a lot of people don't really see this profession as a way to connect to people, but it really very much is, you know, it's that it's that other side of connecting where you have, you know, the blue collar things that can very much bring you close to people, service workers, you know, policemen, whatever the case may be. Like I said, I come from a long, uh, a long line of police officers and stuff like that. So it was like when they saw that it was different, they were like, mm, you know, you're not like us, but it's the same thing. You know, you still reach people in the same way and can change lives in the same way and support people in the same way by your characters, by your acting and by being also a performer that people can look up to. A lot of people take that for granted, too. Yes, you can do characters that touch people, but if you're a hole, then it's not going to matter. <laughs> like nobody's going to like it. So 
Um, I just try to pride myself on being a good person and playing good characters. You know, that's I think that once you kind of really sort of not want all the other stuff that comes with my profession, then it becomes easy to to be a good person. But when you get caught up in chasing all the other stuff that comes along with it, then that's when people are like, well, I don't know. I don't really like this guy. So I just pride myself. Nobody ever has no bad reports about me on set and all that. So that's how I want to keep it. <laughs> No, it's funny you say that because, like, if nothing else, one one thing about a black grandmother, they gonna they gonna tell you like it is. Yeah, they gonna have that that intuition. Like it, they say something. It's a staple. Like it's gonna come to fruition. It is most what it likely. Is. Yeah. No, seriously. And that's when I told her. I when she told me that, I didn't believe her. But funny thing is, I guess my aunt was also in the room, and she even corroborated the story. She was like, "Nope, she she said it. <laughs> I brought her back. I brought her back home, and I I heard her say it." So it's just, you know, it's one of those things that I sort of take to heart. And it's like, if if that was said before I was even brought into the world, then who am I to kind of deny that? You know, I just do my job. <laughs> that's that's just my job at that point. That's my destination. So, no, you do well doing roles or choosing certain characters, you know, like people can look up, you know, to you or to the character that you're choosing to play. I think one of those characters, I don't want to say like, a resurgence because we are very well full aware of who AJ is and was mm. like you know now seeing like the whole representation talk and things like that like smart as hell <laughs> boy black family out here building robots and everything like and I think that's yeah. like wealthy wealthy black family you know they weren't struggling you know how we always depicted you know especially not in that house <laughs> yeah you know and it's crazy because uh the creator butch hartman gets a lot of flack uh for for the creation of his works and stuff like that and how he is but i'll always say hats off to him for that because he didn't have to do that you know black kids are not usually the forefront in animation just period i think the last maybe five years or so we've seen probably more black animation than we had all the years previous you know prior um and so I'm very thankful that he was you know 16 years ago he had the wherewithal to say he doesn't have to be normal how the media perceives normal black children to be he can be Jimmy Neutron you know <laughs> and 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 it'd be fine you know so um, I loved playing that character and it was such a representation of me, like not not as a black boy, but just even me personally. And I think that's kind of what made it even more something that I cherished was because it was like, wow, it's speaking about me. I always felt like I was sort of that black sheep, like I always said, you know, even in my family. So then to have the character come out and sort of really sort of take who I was and blast it to other people it was just it was great it was a great role to play is there like a, a aj show in the works or something is that something that you would you know be willing to see because i'm thinking you know, if they can make a live action version of the of the show they might as well give aj a show i'm just saying <laughs> right right you know what's funny is um they had a uh i think nickelodeon or nick rewind had a question um posted on twitter maybe two years ago now and they had said you know who out of all of the shows that we have as nickelodeon what side character do you think deserves their own show and people were saying you know very valid ones uh, i thought i saw a couple of azulas uh from avatar last airbender who is played by gray delisle who's a great friend of mine and i think that you know stuff like that was really cool and i was just playing around 
honestly. <laughs> and I posted, I posted a picture of AJ and his family. And I was just like, I mean, like, uh, this would work, you know. And that tweet went viral. And you know what's weird is I've gotten so many responses and stuff from Nickelodeon, Nick Rewind, uh, on Twitter, on social media, period. Um, they even recognized me in 2020 for Black History Month. So very thankful for that. But that tweet, I got no recognition from. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Nick Rewind unfollowed me after that, <laughs> and which is crazy. And, you know, and like I said, I'm not talking mess. I, I'm just reporting what I've observed. And so I don't know whether it was that specifically or whether it was, you know, just seeing how how popular that tweet got and then looking back on my page and maybe seeing how I represented it. Who knows? I can only be me. That's all I say. But I think the people showed at that point that that kind of show is very viable, like that people would see or watch an AJ show with his parents, you know, sort of a black Jimmy Neutron. Some people actually were even throwing in show ideas under the tweet, if I recall. And a lot of them were phenomenal i was like i could definitely see that and as a writer and producer i'm like oh i'm so mad i can't do anything with this <laughs> it's not my character but um you know it's uh it's it's something that i would very much do if i could go back to aj that honestly would be one of like a dream job for me because doing that show was so easy um to do uh you know as a performer it was just easy to get up and go to work that had an environment like that it wasn't easy to do as far as technicality per se um especially in the later years because I started that show when I was 14 uh and so and I ended it when I was 28 so that like the, the voice thing at after like 22 <laughs> I was like oh gosh you know <laughs> but um you know so it wasn't easy by technical standard but when you have that kind of cast you know and you have that environment showing up to the Nick studios every day and it's like it's a beautiful you know recording space you know they've got you know drinks and food and you can play basketball when you're not recording you know they have a basketball court like literally next door to the recording studio it's crazy so <laughs> all that kind of thing as a teen you know I'm like I said I started when I was 14 so you say as a 16 year old I'm going to work and it's Nick Studios and I'm going there every week you know it's just like it's a dream job so if I if that were to come back especially at this point in my life where I'm tired like I said I would love that you know um but uh I think that it's not viable for Nick I think that that's something that they're moving one away from that type of show I think in their programming and two I think that it's just something that they're very scared of you know I think that um a lot of major distributors and producers are scared of what it could mean for audiences to have black led shows and they not be because of a black thing it's just a show you know what I mean and I think that that's something that's a struggle for a lot of uh, a lot of pro uh, production houses and, and distributors is that they don't know how to place that it's like do we see say, uh, say it's a fairly odd parents revival do we say it's a reboot or a spin off you know and it's like it's just a show it's just a show using an existing character but it'd be a lot of politics, I'm sure. And that's not on Nick. That's just on how media perceives everything right now. You know, that's just sort of the way of the world. So, but 
like I said, I would love to do it if I got the chance. <laughs> so if anybody's out there and has enough money to buy the rights of Fairly Odd Parents or AJ, the character from Butch Hartman, let me know. <laughs> you never know. Things may happen. You never know. We Come can make around. it work. It might be a black billionaire listening to this right now, and they like, I want to see it. So hey, I'm 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 ready to go when y'all are. <laughs> hey, out there, okay? Oh, definitely. They get dragged on Twitter all the time, but they still out there. Definitely, definitely. Playing AJ, like also playing Squid, also being Nelson. Like we say, even on Robot Jones, like you was Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Disney Channel. From the outside, like I said, outside looking <laughs> in, like. There was never like no beef, like yo, you can't be over here and be over there. Like, how did? Oh no, uh, no, you know it's crazy because with Disney, I mostly did on camera. Obviously, with Even Stevens, I did do a Disney cartoon. I believe Fillmore was on Disney, and I did do a couple episodes of Fillmore. But I think that it's it, it, at the time, you know, I think that it was really because there was nobody there's no black boys really doing that you know um I came up in voiceover when I was the only kid not only the only black kid or the black person I was really the only person like under 20 25 doing you know anything that I had stepped on set with the exception of Rocket Power who was the only show that I had that used kids for kids you know, they were actual, we were all, whoever was a child in the show was a child in real life, you know. Um, so that was, with the exception of that, everything else, I was the kid, you know, the the baby, you know, by far. So um, I, I don't know. I think that uh, that's the difference, you know, in, in that. Um, I wasn't really, you know, I, I guess sort of tug of war because it was like, we got to get the black kid that be doing the voices. <laughs> you know, it's like it was, it was me. I think it was like you know. Uh, I think Maestro uh, had done a couple of things at that time, but it was really slim pickings, to be honest. And the only other kid my age, um, I think, was uh, Ulysses, who played Twister on Rocket Power. Um, you know, they there wasn't an influx of child. Uh, black child actors who were also dipping into voiceover, which is what we have now. You have like the Sky Jacksons and, you know, uh, Marseille, uh, Martins and stuff. You know, they they all are dipping their toes into big budgeted VO stuff because of their following and their, their pull on on-camera things. And I just didn't have that luxury, you know, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm grateful now that it can be that way because... You know, people have had it that way for the longest. We've always been talking about how on-camera actors sometimes take the roles of, you know, VO actors who have been doing voiceover for a long time. And then an on-camera person comes in with a big name and takes your your job. Um, I always said I would rather that happen if, you know, it's people who didn't have that chance in the first place, a.k.a you know, black boys and girls who didn't have those chances on either space, you know, so if it's happening, if my role, if me as a voice, what I consider to me to be a voiceover artist gets their role taken by somebody who's more on camera, I'm fine, you know, with it being in the community, of course. So uh, that is, that is kind of my stance on it. So no beef, no beef. I was just, you know, I was just sort of the only one <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so um, I think it was more, it was more beef, honestly, with the on-camera sitcoms that I did, to be honest. I think I remember, yeah, I definitely remember people, like, laughing on set 
you know that in fact i think the last one that i did was probably living single and so by that point i had already done cosby had already done fresh prince and had already done uh what was the other one family matters right um so at that point you know i think while i was on living single i think there was a couple of jokes said by a couple of the cast members like oh you just making the rounds <laughs> you know it's just like you didn't see especially because at that time a lot of the shows were shot in around the same studios you know black studios or black shows didn't have black studios to go shoot at you know so we were renting out space and you know lots that we weren't even distributed by sometimes you know it was just like find the space you know so we we're on the warner brothers lot paramount whatever sony you know it's just wherever you could be so that was kind of uh that was kind of the thing but yeah no beef no beef with the disney folk <laughs> <laughs> so they, can't, they don't they don't have it in them anyway you know it's saw a song and dance over there so <laughs> what was that transition like for you to go from like on camera to voiceover work and like kind of staying relatively in that field you know uh, at first I was sort of I didn't really I don't know I, I didn't really think about it you know it was just kind of I was just doing it you know and it was just like I knew I wanted to be in voiceover I told my parents like I want to do voiceover that's how I got my current agent um and I was like I need to find somebody who can get me into cartoons I want to do cartoons so once I got into it I was just happy and then the first one I I got was Rocket Power and it was you know a, a national hit like I was of course I was happy so I think that <laughs> right you know, I think that um, I made the transition very easily. And I don't think until maybe I got older, you know, 20 in my early 20s um, and late 20s when I really started saying, like, what is it that I want to do with my career? What's most fulfilling to me? Um, and I think at that time I was falling out of love with on camera things. I was getting a lot of auditions for just the same old, same old stuff, you know, thug one, thug two, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. And that actually influenced my chant, my choice uh, to um, join the Noah's Art cast when Patrick uh, had hit me up about it. And I think that that was really sort of that departure, you know, really me saying, okay, if I'm going to do on camera stuff, it's going to be what I want to do. Um, and then voiceover was sort of my thing. Like that was the thing I was hungry for, you know, before my early part of the career was like, whatever audition, I'm going on it, you know, on camera wise. I even booked, um, I don't know if I told you guys this last time, but I had booked um, Minister Society, uh, I believe. And it was the kid who um, who is on the big wheel, waving the gun, who talks uh, a little bit in the beginning. And then I think at the end too. Um, and uh, my mom, when she saw the script, she was just like, uh, you know, him waving a gun at that age. I don't know. You know? <laughs> so I don't know if we want to do that. So it was just, you know, it was a choice. It was like, yo, like, he, we don't want him seen in that way. And so all of the on-camera stuff that I did, you know, was very much image-based. It was very much to make sure that I was sort of guiding myself into you know the way that I wanted it to be um so when I didn't know it was arc it was like a departure from that it was a departure from everything and it was just like I want to act I want to do something that people probably don't want me to do that I'm gonna do anyway you know and that's that you know so um yeah that was just kind of the thing uh for me was just that transition as far as doing other on-camera things while I was doing voiceover. The voiceover didn't necessarily make it different, but my choices in on-camera did, you know, affect it, trickle down for sure. Got you. 
speaking of nose off like for you to you know choose to play the role or be in the series at all especially during that time like yeah we can say like yeah you know nowadays it's easy, easier lgbtq da, 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 da. all right that's one thing but during that specific time frame you know on top of it especially in the black community it wasn't it was no i mean up. i mean i was i was 18 so you're talking about you know 14 15 years ago you know plus um and so i think that at the time it really wasn't you know it was very much a taboo thing still you know i think that the the biggest thing had been the show noah's ark you know that showed the black community uh and lgbtq community together and i think patrick had released skinny the skinny as well which was his um his uh, independent film that took off and did really well in the space. Um, so those were really the biggest representations. And I think Noah's Ark was on Logo, which was a subsidiary of uh, MTV, but the visibility wasn't huge. Um, so when the Noah's Ark film came out and kind of increased that, I think that that's really when things sort of started to take a little precedent and you started seeing more roles and you started seeing things and people aren't going to credit that film because it's still a small film by relative nature but i think that film honestly just broke open so many doors uh for just lgbtq media um especially in the black community because no one really was doing the p valleys and and the funny thing is Patrick is also, you know, involved in PVs, you know, he's the writer in P-Valley. So it's like, when you think about it, it's especially Patrick has to really be recognized for his, you know, his work and just putting, um, you know, black gay, you know, faces into the forefront. And it's just really one of those things that I champion because he was really sort of a trailblazer in the aspect. And when I did the film, I wanted to take part in that. I said to myself, I want to do something that's daring. I want somebody to say he, he didn't have to do this or he, you know, this was something that probably was out of his comfort zone, yet he did it anyway. And then even more important to me than that was the community's reaction from that to say, all of that considered, did he do a good job? You know, and I wanted it to be um, you know, a positive reaction. So I was able to achieve all of that with Patrick's help. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's now looked at as, you know, one of those staples in in both communities. So I, I love that. No, then that's definitely a very um, powerful and beautiful thing. Like it was still rough, like yeah. no matter what you did, you know, so to have that, you know, and for you to be so young and to, be okay with who you are personally you know and be like yeah I can play this role it's not going to affect me and my manhood nothing like that yeah. I think that also is a testament to the type of person that you are and we've yeah. seen you know throughout the years and it wasn't it wasn't all roses you know I'm not going to take credit and say that I didn't have the thoughts or you know um very inappropriate just uh ideas heading into it you know even after booking it I was having those second thoughts and then and then we had a contract renegotiation because at first I was supposed to be naked and then I was like I was like I don't know if I'm gonna be naked at 18 yet you know and all that I still haven't done it so <laughs> so um I think that all of those kinds of things really did sort of have my mind 
working in overtime, you know, and then once I got to set, it was really Patrick and the cast that really sort of allowed me to feel comfortable. It was like, look, you know, we know how young black males think about us, you know, and this is what it is, you know, and then also because Noah's Ark was a pre-existing project and had two years worth of show already, and there were straight men you know, on that show portraying gay men. And so they were also able to say, hey, look, we are straight as well. This is our feelings. This is how we respect the community. This is how we can coexist, you know, and having those two sides with me at all times were were just, you know, majorly influential when it came down to having my mindset, you know, warp and change to something that is obviously more tolerant and, you know, more respectful. And I think that really is what it takes. A lot of people are so just afraid of touching anything that has to. And it's so funny when I booked the role, Patrick was telling me all the people that he, he had basically begged and pleaded colleagues of mine, you know, that were he was like, please do this. And they would not do it. And, you know, and it's just like when I looked at the script, was I like, ooh, you know, kind of scared. Oh, gosh, you know, and and mind you. Most of it was because this was my first real kiss, period, on screen. It wasn't that it was, you know, a guy. It was because I'm finally being intimate on screen. I'm only 18. I'm barely intimate in my own life, you know? <laughs> like, you know, and here you want me to talk about having sex with this guy, and I don't, I don't know nothing about that, you know? <laughs> so, so for me, it was just a jarring experience in that aspect, just growing up, period. It wasn't really the community. It was just growing up. Uh, into a role that was very much an adult role and talked about adult things. So I think that was mainly my fear. And then on top of that, having it be a community that I wanted to respect and just didn't know how to, you know, I knew the ways and the ideas and the stuff that I had was wrong, you know, but it was going into it and saying, okay, how do I change that? How do I become okay with working, you know, in this environment? And then past that, not change back to what I was. That was important to me, was not treating this like a job that I punched a clock and was like, okay, cool, I'm done. Now I can go back to, <laughs> you know, what I was doing. Um, I wanted to not do this unless it was going to change my idea, you know, and, and thoughts around the community. So when I took the role, the first thing we did was have a meeting with Patrick. And, um, you know, that was really, you know, the start of me sort of having my mindset changed. So, yeah. You did, uh, just me watching, like, you did a good job. Like, now I miss Noah's art because I was, you know, young and I- Right, yeah, of course. He nah. had the money. I had like to go that, back and watch no it, channels, so. You know, I could <laughs> right. sneak downstairs and watch Logo. So you know, I missed that phase. But, right, you know, right, I seen right. it on Vimeo, you know? Um, yeah. But it's funny, when I finally did get to a certain age and I watched it, I was like, is that Nelson? <laughs> yep, yep, that's what everybody said. Is that Nelson? Show his behind, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and I, I will always get called certain things. I feel it's just, it's just gonna stick. You know, from Nelson to Tyson for bringing on, like, it's always just gonna be remembered in some way. So I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> but that just is the mark of a good. I that means I just did a good job. I did something memorable. You know, they're not talking about it by how for because of how bad it was. You know, most of the time. So. You know, Very even true. people who talk about bringing it on and say, oh, my gosh, it's cringe. It's cringe. People also don't understand that the, that whole scene supposed to be cringe. I don't understand why people on Twitter don't get that. But we're going to put that to the side. and We're not even going to talk about that. But people say it's cringe. I'm like, 
even though it's cringe, it's still funny. It's still good. That It's cringe. It makes you laugh. You know, it's that kind of cringe. It's not, oh my God, like I can't watch this. Like people will say that, but you're watching it. Like you're literally watching it cracking up at this whole dance sequence. So I don't even want to hear it talk about people like, oh my God, it's so bad. Y'all still watch You Got Served, Stomp the R. All of them just as bad. The funny thing is, is that Stomp the R and You Got Served got a whole bunch more men in it that y'all liked. That's it. That's all. That's it. <laughs> If I was in Stomp the Yard, everybody wouldn't have nothing to say. If all the Stomp the Yard people wasn't bringing on, y'all would not say a damn thing. I know it. So that's all. That's what I got to say about that. Okay? Because I'm tired. I'm tired of it. Tired of it. Now, y'all just want some more eye candy. I was the only eye candy and bringing on, and y'all mad. And then most people don't even like me. They like Jesse. So I understand. You don't even want to see any of that. I get it. But don't try to tell me it wasn't as corny like the other stuff wasn't as corny because come on man you got served was corny now was it is it still the best dancing in a dance movie i still say yes it's still very up there but the script was way worse than bring it on in my <laughs> just like you can't you can't tell me that it wasn't okay the kids was dancing because they were selling drugs what <laughs> come on man bring it on at least made sense she was coming to sweet school. She had to learn how to be cool. That's That makes sense, okay? Maybe the script wasn't great, but at least the plot made sense. You talking about some other stuff that don't even make no sense. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying on that. <laughs> what I will say in defense mm-hmm. of Bring It On All or Nothing, I only watched it two. It's the original one and then y'all version. But yes. just like me, honest, those are the only two that matter. Yeah. yeah. The only two that matter. That's a, and it's like 18 of them <laughs> like, that kept going. If I'm the percentages is looking good for me. That's all I'm saying. Cause ain't nobody posted clips of for bringing on nine. Okay. That's all I've got to say. And it's no disrespect to the crew, the people that made the movie. That's all I'm saying. Y'all got all this mess to talk about my movie saying it's bad. It's corny. Why are you not posting the clips from the other stuff? Did? That's all I'm saying. You, to, you mean to tell me those are all Oscar winning movies. Then I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Because one time one of them other movies was on TV and I was like, let this alone, let me go see. Mm, and I was don't like, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and I respect them. I respect them because Bring It On is like the lesser version of Fast and Furious. They just knew their audience and was like, let's just keep going. Because they gonna keep watching them, you know, and, and you can't fault them for that. And they just get progressively worse and worse, probably. And it's like, hey, you can't fault them. They know what they're doing. You know, uh, you know, I say get your money how you want to, man. That's, that's, that's you know, you can't knock nobody for getting their money how they want to. So, you know, that's why I'm talking mess about that. I say the fast friends is horrible, but I still go see them all the time. I can't talk mess. I, I'm still giving them money, you know? Are you still giving us money? Still giving us shine by posting the clips on Twitter. That's all I'm saying. Every time you post clips, somebody will be like, what movie is this? Every time. You see that clip? Look at the comments. It's like Tim be making right me feel there. old too. Wait, and like wait, I'm only, I'm only 28, and I be seeing this like, what you mean? What movie this is? Right, exactly. What you mean? You don't know what this is? But I get it because a lot of people don't even understand that my Bring It On is not the second one. A lot of people think it's the sequel, and I'm like, it's not. There's Again, one of the only two that matter in between that, right? It was a whole other one. I was like, you know, I can't tell you what the second one is. It's bringing on again. You. That's what it's called. It's bringing on again, and it's it's uh, bringing on all or nothing. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. We just go go ahead and call it that. 
But yeah, I had a lot of fun on that. <laughs> Listen, that clip go viral. I ain't gonna hold you like damn near like once every two months. It's once, once at least once every two months. I usually say it's once every month, but it's at least once every two months. And I'm just like, y'all ain't how and I get I could understand if as it's going viral, it gets like less and less views, likes, all that kind of thing. But it's more. I'm like, what? It's all the people that found out about it last month. Like, how are y'all? How are the numbers not dropping? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I know we make new people every month, but come on, man. Like, <laughs> and I click stop. the like button every time. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Hey, hey, so do I. I repost it every time. <laughs> hey, you gonna post it? I'm gonna post it too. That's my, that's my job. My job as actor is make sure I get seen. So I'm gonna post it too. You gonna talk bad about it? I'm gonna learn how to flip it and make it some good news. Trust me. <laughs> every time and they try to they try me every time they're like oh my god and they'll sometimes even at me they'll be like uh i don't see how you willingly did this role i don't see how you and i'm like <laughs> what? you got the hotels after you man you don't even know i get so i get so many people on twitter going after me i all all walks of life hotel no tip. <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> but like, okay, it's so like throughout this illustrious career, you know, I find out on social media that you were in the music group and you did some journalism. So how do those two things come into play <laughs> with the acting career? Because you was busy. You was booked. Yes. I seen you. I was. Uh, the music thing happened first. Uh, I've always been a writer, you know, in, in my heart, you know, as well as acting. They both coincide very, very much, I think, in equal parts. Uh, I'm a storyteller by nature, you know, and so I think that um, with journalism, <clears throat> it, it piqued my interest pretty early on, but it didn't really catch catch until high school. And um, I think that around I was 14 and I started writing for a couple of papers, just, you know, little columns here and there, whatever I can get my hands on. My mom helped me out a lot with that. But that got the attention of the L.A. Times. And at the time, they had a youth paper that they would put inside of the L.A. Times um, and they would um you know, obviously get uh, students for for the the columns and stuff for that. So started writing for the LA, you know, LA Times and LA Youth, their youth paper. And I did that for two years. And that really was sort of the thing that was like, I could be a journalist, you know, and I was like, all right, I want to take this seriously. So when it came down time to go to college, that's what I majored. I majored in journalism. And um, although I didn't finish during the time I was writing for LA Youth, I was also writing for uh, Pierce College Roundup. Uh, I did a lot of uh, a lot of guest columns and you know other spaces. So it was something that always piqued my interest because my mom wanted me to be a broadcast journalist because she was like, "Well, I mean, you're an actor and you show your face already." So, but I always heard from like the journalism spaces that how broadcast journalists are looked at as talking heads, and you know, and so for me, I was like, if I want to, if I'm gonna be in that space, I still have to know what the actual ins and outs of journalism, you know, are, you know, I want to be the talking head that can back everything up. If somebody, you know, goes at me, that's why I went to school for it. And um, yeah, I think it was one of those things that I was sort of in that transitional period 
um, you know, in my career. So in my head, I was like, if something, you know, happens, if it doesn't work out, I can always fall back on journalism and and really start a career in that. <clears throat> um, and uh, and uh, music uh, happened as well early because around that time, it was one of those things that I was doing as a hobby, you know, and it was just like, I'm writing and I'm writing stories. And then it was like, some songs too you know and uh I was into poetry a lot so uh I started doing a lot of spoken word um while I was in school and mind you I was in college uh pretty early so this is all happening at the same time so when I was saying I was majoring in journalism I was 16 uh and in college and so I was doing that around the same time I was doing the music group so um basically a friend of mine who is the the son of uh, Denise Williams who um, sang uh, Silly, uh, Let's Hear It For The Boy off of the Footloose soundtrack, you know, very, very um, popular singer in her in her, um, her time. She has a son that's my age and we were best friends, still are. <laughs> and so at the time he was doing music solo and he was sounding great. And I kept saying like, I'll write some songs for you, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then I think one day I did, I wrote like a verse, like a rap verse for one of his R&B songs. And he was just like, you're really good. <laughs> I was just like, nah. I was like, and especially because at the time I was more into poetry and journalism. So nothing about those things was like rap, especially because at the time spoken word wasn't kind of what it is now. Even though we had Deaf Poetry Jam, um, it wasn't popular. You know, it wasn't a thing like it is now. So I was kind of shying away from it. But finally, it was like, you know, you should do this, you know, and he was like, no, we're going to go to the studio, we're going to get some studio time, and we're going to see what this sounds like. And we added some members and recorded a whole album. There's a whole album that exists with me on it, <laughs> um, mixed, mastered, everything, and it sounds great, uh, even still to this day to me, uh, and, but... It will probably never see the light of day because <laughs> I can imagine, you know, Twitter uh, seeing that sort of music from me. I repost some stuff that I did later in my career um, on Twitter or Instagram sometimes, but that early, early stuff with the group, yeah, that stays in the vault. <laughs> um, but that, I always said that we were, uh, I think we were a more focused B5. Uh, if you want to, you know, note the sound, uh, you know, B5, B2K, very similar. Although we were before those two groups, uh, we were making music <clears throat> before those two groups. But um, a lot of our songs still, as a matter of fact, the the guy who, uh, Forrest West, who's the the son of Denise Williams, he um, is still a, a artist and he actually just released a song that we wrote as the group when we were 14 and it still works just a different beat obviously you know because it has to be a different sound but to know that we were that ahead of our time you know to write a song 20 years ago and it still works today he changed like a couple of minor things like obviously like name brand things that are mentioned you know stuff that's not as hot anymore you know <laughs> um uh but yeah you know um it's it's crazy that you know we were there so Again, that goes back to what I said earlier, as far as living 10 lives, you know, I, we, we performed, um, we were signed to a development deal, uh, I believe at Blackground Records, which was Missy and Tim's uh, um, label back in the day, which I think is now disbanded. 
But, um, you know, it was just one of those things that it was just like, wow, I've done that. You know, like I said before, it's just you look back and it's just like, wow, I've really kind of done just a couple of, you know, very different things. Um, but journalism is one of those things I always wish I could go back to, you know, obviously not music because music's so tough. <laughs> but but um, I do have a spoken word album in the works just because I've just been writing so much. And, you know, that's the thing that I do to sort of take my mind off things. So um, that has been compiled for like the last like five years. Um, and so I'm just kind of going through the motions of one, choosing to say if I really want to actually release it and two, um, you know, picking and choosing, you know, what what does this sound like? Is there a story to this, you know? you know, laying the tracks all into, you know, to place and, and seeing what it what it sounds like is sort of really important to me. So that's what I've been doing, you know, but it's it's sitting on ice. <laughs> it's almost there. <laughs> I feel like, you know, you can put it out in the universe, you know, you word on songs that's still yeah. happening. You know, you almost want the black brown. And if you did, your music still wouldn't have been out because we've seen what black brown been doing. Right. You know? Um, But yep. you you might as well do it. I mean, you got brand, you got recognition, like spoken word is a, is like a really good thing. And like, yeah. clearly you were ahead of your time because you was in the music group and you did a commercial with Beyonce. So please, <laughs> you got some sort of connection somewhere. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely could, uh, can probably work something out for sure with some connections. But again, it's all in my mindset. I'm, like I said, my whole mind is always peace, you know, especially this point in my career is like, what can I do that can get afford me the lifestyle that I want to live and give me peace? It's literally my only thing. It's when it comes down to pleasing people and all that stuff is out the window nowadays. So for me, choosing to go into that is really just about like what happens after this gets released? You know, what happens after we make these connections? Am I still going to have to be all in this world or can I just disappear? You know, because <laughs> if I had it my way, I'm dropping it, not doing no performances, <laughs> nothing. Don't leave, leave me alone. I'm very much, uh, what's her name? was it summer walker that was like not doing shows or something like that <laughs> you know i'd be like that i'd be i released the whole album be like all right y'all this is <laughs> hope you don't expect the tour because it's not coming sometimes you know, so. it works we still waiting on them visits from beyonce which we probably never exactly. gonna get but you know we still waiting on them exactly but i'm not beyonce unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately they're not gonna wait on me like one that. degree of separation all you gotta do is like post that little clip and with the right, spoken right, word right. over top of it post the commercial everybody be like all right you cool <laughs> Listen, you know you've been you beyonce adjacent <laughs> but like finding that peace and like especially this part of your career you know like what does that look like for you how has that been or like what has that transitional process been like because like you said you, you done lived 10 lives you done you done did you know a lot of things under the sun so like how do you get to that that next phase of your in your mind well i think once i reached a certain age just my my daily life just became different um i think my outlook on things became different um you know the the things that i like to do the things i enjoy to do just became different so with that, my career changes sort of need to support that, right? Before, when I was in my early 20s, I like to party, I like to go out, I like to do this. So it's like, I need a job, makes me some good money, puts me in some good places, you know, shake some good hands, you know, I was all for that. And, you know, I think, I, I hate to say this, but after I turned 30, I was just over it. I really was. I was just like, 
people i mean it's so funny because i get a, I get i start dating a girl and she'd be like you don't ever go to no award shows and blah blah blah. I'm like, I can I can go. I can honestly anybody can go to award shows. It ain't really even that hard. Like you know what I mean? Like you want to go to the Oscars, you really can if you try. You know, so it ain't that big of a deal. And I think part of that realizing those things is what makes me the way that I am now. It's like you know, and it's no dig to the general public. You know, it's it to me. It's it's what should happen. Everybody should be able to it. get dressed up and go attend the Oscars. Go see your favorite star. Sure, all of these sort of exclusivity and you know all this stuff to make it seem like these people are so above the general public. I hate you know I hate that. I hated going to you know after I remember <laughs> I'm about to date myself very badly. Uh, I think after one of the Source Awards that I went to, <laughs> right, the Source Magazine Awards. I didn't mean um, to make that face. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. You just gotta remind me of Kevin Hart in that clip with Don Cheadle. He's like, damn. <laughs> like, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> but, but yeah, after one of the Source Awards, you know, we went to a party and it was just like, and that was the party that Coolio got shot up at if you remember. Um, and it, it was just, it was just like, even thinking about that. And I was like 16, I think at the time, you know, so it was like, after 30, I was just like, I've done all the clubs. I've done, I just, I, yes, it's fun for the moment, but then the next day you're, you feel horrible because you drank too much. Then you got to work. Then you got to talk, worry about the person that you didn't get talked up and gave you they num your number on accident. Now they texting you. You don't even want them to text you. It's just a lot. You know what I mean? And then, then you got to worry about, okay, what happens when I go out to these places and I get too drunk and I say something stupid or I act a certain way? It's a lot. And for me, peace looked like being able to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. And that's it. You know, and for me, having jobs that sort of fit that lifestyle is important. So I think that's why I gravitated more towards voiceover later in my career, because I can be low key. I can go to the booth. I can record this. It doesn't take as long doesn't take the 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 amount of preparation that an on-camera set takes. You know, we get to the booth, we warm up for, you know, 10 minutes, you know, talk to the director a little bit, they cue us up, we blaze through the the the, the episode in half an hour to an hour, and you're done. You know, and then you see the fruits of your labor on television and you get to reap that and you get to go to certain events. And to me, the events that even came with the type of jobs that I was choosing felt different you know as I started getting into more more voiceover now it's kids choice awards that I'm going to you know now it's that type of stuff and I found that stuff way more enjoyable than the other stuff and that's just me you know it's not going to be every person you know I understand the guy that loves the club you know I get it but for me all I saw was myself spending money that I didn't want to spend and you know not having as much fun as i wanted to have you know the first kids choice awards that i went to the after party was in a, a freaking airplane hangar and they had a wall of all the slushies ever made all the flavors like all of them it was like 80 something flavors now you tell me what club you want to go to dre's and pay fifteen hundred dollars for a bottle and be up in your section, cramped up with a whole bunch of sweaty, smelly people, drunk people all in your face? Or do you want to go to a nice air-conditioned place, wide open with free food and 80 flavors of slushies? You tell me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just That is like the most kid choice <laughs> thing I could ever 
imagine. Like, like it's, it's crazy, right? And you're like, that's genius. And everybody loved it. Young, old, didn't man. We was all just like, which one you try? Let's try some different, let's try combinations. Like, that's all people did. And, it, and I just learned that as I, you know, got to the later point of my life, I just liked, you know, fun that just didn't require me to be something while I'm out. You know, I have to be on all the time, you know, going to those places. It was fun because it was like even the stars were able to sort of de-arm themselves. I met Halle Berry at a Kids' Choice Awards after party. And she, and, and, it, and she was sweet as all get out. Like, oh, my God, you guys did it. And I'm like, I don't think that could have happened anywhere else you know had i gone to a, a oscar after party i mean she it would have been the hallie that everybody's trying to get to and she would have had all those people talk to you know she wouldn't have even had the wherewithal to say because it was the kids choice award she's saying i need to be friendly to everybody i need to have that air about me because these kids look up to me not knowing whether we're actors or not or whoever and that's the type of environment i like when everybody's at their best you know what I mean? Those type, the other type of environments almost encourage you to be at your worst. You know, it's treat people like servants, you know, because they're coming around with drinks and go to the club and now everybody's whatever beneath you because they don't have as many bottles as you. And it's all just like a whole big, you know, tug of war. It's like a whole, it's like a sword fight. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know, I just want to have fun. So I think that that's kind of what it is now for me, just realizing that I, want things to happen in the way that I feel like in the twilight of my life, am I going to look back and say, I did too much, you know, or I worked too much, or I didn't spend enough time here, you know, or by myself, or just sitting, enjoying other places, traveling, you know, even the fact that I've traveled so much, you know, is a joy to me because I'm like, I couldn't do that if I was just constantly trying to be in the club or whatever, you know, I can take a week off and be like, babe, let's go somewhere because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over LA right now. Let's go down to Catalina or something, you know, whatever. And I can have that piece, you know? And so that's kind of really what it is for me now is just trying to choose those things. And um, fortunately enough for me, it's worked <laughs> pretty well so far. Um, uh, like I said, I recently just booked a big pro. Well, not recently. It's now I booked it last Wow, it'll be a year in February. Um, and um, so- Happy Black just, History Month. Right, exactly. Man, not, not only was it Black History Month, but uh, I booked it four days before my birthday. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, so, yeah, it was, man, that was the best birthday present ever. Um, but yeah, the project that I'm doing now is uh, extremely big and it's kind of daunting because I feel like I'm gonna have to return sort of to the spotlight a little bit, you know, once this uh, gets out and gets released and stuff. Um, so I've been uh, a little nervous, <laughs> just a tad, but I think that because of the type of project it is, um, I'm able to sort of feel a little more comfortable um, than uh, normal. So it's definitely something that even though I have some anxiety about, it's something that I'm just so excited to do and I can't wait. Uh, to do it and yeah yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting these next two years people are gonna see a flip of how I am and I think that that's honestly in the last year why I've gotten so much uh sort of more visible on social media um is because I am trying to sort of get used to that uh, because I know that it's gonna come you know so uh yeah we'll, we'll see <laughs> well I think you made the the right choice and not doing the broadcast journalism thing because yeah. like 
I work at a local news station, and I'll tell you from the broadcast perspective, I'd be seeing some things, and like you can't really, you always have to be on. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. no matter what you out, you went public, like you can't really yeah. be exclusive. I mean, look at those two that. journalists, the ones that got uh, hit up for the affair, and they was broken up with their people already. And it's like, but people are just in your life, you know, because I mean, but when you think about it, and that's another thing that I try to get a lot of people to understand, people are always like privacy, but you got to understand these people are literally in your household every morning. You literally tune into them every morning as a actor. I know that, for instance, if I were to, I don't know if I told you guys this last time either, but I originally got asked to do 106 in Park when AJ and Free left. So I did. I was offered the I was offered the the job for well, they wanted to fly me out for three weeks to test me. And they were like, we're going to have you on the show for three weeks, see what's what, you know, blah, 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 blah. At the time, I wasn't aware of a co-host. I think it was going to be just me. Not sure. Um, But when my agent got the deal memo, uh, the pay was not, <laughs> BET was not uh, doing right by certain people. So it was just, um, it was something I just had to turn down. It was just not going to be viable, um, especially living in New York. Um, so it was one of those things that I just, I, I was unfortunate that I couldn't do, but I wanted to. Um, but yeah, just stuff like that, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, I... Yeah, it's it's uh been a long road. We'll just say <laughs> it's been a long road. But yeah, stuff like that, I always look back and I'm just like, man, the stuff that I could have done. But yeah, it's just um back to what I was saying with the with the the personalities being in your house. When I was gonna do 106 in Park, I was gonna be on television. That's five days a week, right? 106 in Park was every every Monday through Friday. So it's like I would have been really weird had I been like, oh no. My privacy is like you know if you choose to do that job like you can be an actor that's a private actor you know where there's plenty of people we don't know nothing about because they even choose roles that represent them as people you know daniel day lewis comes to mind you know it's a man who he's won an oscar da, 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 but you don't know jack about this guy <laughs> you know because he's so private he's such a recluse he's such just into acting it's very possible but if you choose to do certain things, you know, if you choose to be the blockbuster actor, you got to understand the the amount of money that you make from that project is indicative of what type of fan base you're going to have. People like I don't understand why people, you know, I I look at the rock as a, a very good inspiration in that aspect. That's somebody who knew what he was getting himself into. And every time you see him, there isn't a time where you see him being to fans as if he doesn't know what he's doing you know mm -hmm. what i mean and i think that that's something that's very commendable on his aspect but that's also the wrestling training you know they deal with thousands and thousands and thousands of fans all the time so he had that sort of base training you know sort of to back him up but you know a lot of people don't understand that but with those two news anchors it's like uh, on one side i'm like none of y'all should care that's that's my biggest thing. Is nobody should care. Like he wasn't cheating. They both were. They both were broken up already. If they not cheating, who cares? Who cares? They not gonna have sex with you. So <laughs> should care. Um. And so then the other side of the coin, everybody was like, "Oh, we're still horrible as a society because they don't have no privacy." I'm like the news anchors. Like, like, like 
and I see this guy more than my grandmama. Like, <laughs> you know, so if anything, I just feel like people should understand the mode that you're driving your career into. I never shied away from having people, you know, hit me up and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people are always like, do you get uh, weirded out by getting recognized or people hitting you up on Twitter? I I don't. The unfortunate part about social media now for me is that I have gained popularity over the, over the last five years. So now I don't see every, you know, message like I used to. You know, I, I can't catch everything. Sometimes by the time I catch it, it's like months old. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to respond. <laughs> you know? So but sometimes, you know, if it's something that's very, you know, um, you know, something that I can really resonate with or something that's a little bit more pressing than I do, you know, somebody who says, you know, I just really appreciated your role or something like that. I'll shoot them a message. But unfortunately, I can't respond to everything like I used to. But I never am upset that people are sending me messages, you know, as long as they're appropriate, because I get that too, you know. Right. I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter because, well, it wasn't a conversation. Uh, I had posted uh, me and my girlfriend for the holidays and under the page or under the post, I had gotten a couple of uh, responses where people were like, oh, I didn't know he wasn't gay. And I get that a lot. I get that on almost every picture that I post, but I don't post it every time because I, I don't need to. However, this time I did post it. I was like, I, I quote tweeted the, the post and I was like, y'all always kill me because y'all always say, you know, uh, y'all always um, <clears throat> don't remember that I'm not, you know, gay, I'm straight. And I was just like, you know, but I appreciate y'all. I said something like that. And there was somebody that quote tweeted, doesn't follow me or anything. and was like, uh, I feel unsafe as a member of the community because you felt that you always feel the need to tell us that you're straight. I was just like, okay, one. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't always do this. I was like, if I always did it, it'd be way worse. And I was like, because I could just screenshot my DMs right now, if that's the case. And, <laughs> and then the second, I was like, as far as rem are you're upset that I had to remind you, because then, then they switched the tune. It was like, oh, we don't mind you posting something like this, but to constantly harp on the fact that you're straight. And I was like, but I'm not harping. I'm just saying that I'm straight. I'm just saying, hey guys, for the people that think they can hit on me, I don't want you to waste your time because I'm straight. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And it's not to make anybody feel unsafe. It's not to make to 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 be like, oh, I'm a he man, you know, whatever. It's just simply calling out. Of, you know, I'm observing. That's it. So I think that it was weird, you know, on that aspect. But that goes to the privacy access conversation of people who feel like they know you and want to hit you up and everybody was always like oh I couldn't do that I couldn't do that but I don't find it bad you know it's one bad take out of a thousand you know and so that the hundred the 999 other people that are hitting me up I I love and cherish and want to you know see um, them enjoy my work so I think that that's the important part <laughs> Well, if you did do it all the time, I feel like I probably would have saw it at some point in time. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I personally haven't seen it, so I don't. And, and I'm like, that. and I can understand if maybe you see that and then you don't see anything else. But I'm like, I show my support 
for the community. I even flirt sometimes <laughs> with the people in the community. So I'm like, I don't understand why people are like so pressed. And I'm like, I don't mind talking and engaging. So I don't understand how you couldn't look at my page and then say, okay, this is just something that I might be taking out of context because I feel some type of way. Because clearly this person is doesn't mean any harm to the community, which I don't. So that's why I, I was just really confused. But again, I take that as one bad take out of you know the thousands so i don't care <laughs> you know there's always gonna be somebody that doesn't like what you're doing so i just say you know what i hope that you feel better about this situation and i just move on <laughs> and i think some of it is projection i also think some of it is like people's own our own individual perception of what i could be masculinity is mm -hmm. and yep. if you're not out here you know, pounding your chest, you're not out here doing certain things, saying certain things, behaving in a certain manner. It comes across as I don't have the right word for it. I don't kind of want to like a pandering kind of trying to trying to yeah. And I got that day somebody said that too. Like somebody else took that person's comment and like quoted it and was like, yeah, because this person was following. They was like, yeah, I've been following him for a while now and I'm done because that's all he does is pander. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I, I could see in certain aspects how maybe if you take that one thing out of context, you see that. But again, I don't think people should make comments like that if they don't know the actual history of this person and their tweets or their you know their conversations so it was just really weird to me that that day because of that and you said you brought up the word projection and that's what it felt like to me it felt like why is it that on the day that i post because i've said it before under pictures of me you know selfies and people be like oh damn you know uh, you know, hit me up if, if you in town i am like my bad I ain't I, I'm not gay I'm straight you know and nobody says anything but I think it was also because I had my girl in the picture and it kind of maybe felt like I was rubbing it in somebody's face a little bit. And I felt like those two people felt like a little bit like, how dare you be somebody that we feel is included or that we've included into the community and yet you're parading in this way. You know, like that's kind of what it felt like to me. And I'm like, Sorry, I just just responding to people. <laughs> so no, that yeah. quote tree. It's also like also like that quote tree option. It's some people view it. You know, cause like you know when somebody messed up on Twitter and mm -hmm. they're like everybody mama like come say basically the same thing that everybody else already said in a quote tree mm -hmm. function. It's like, oh, you trying to be smart? Are you trying to be funny? You know, right, but that's right, also right. like a again going back to a projection thing. Like you said, yeah. I've never seen it. You know, so I can't speak on it. Like. I'm also part of the community. I've never, you never made me feel no no sort of way. I never felt like you were going to So, you know, hey, I don't got no beef with you. Right. That's 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 how I put it. I told them literally that day, I said, look, you guys have problems and I'm so sorry. And it was crazy because I was really kind of like hurt that day because I was like, I don't want anybody to feel that way. Like, that's the whole goal. That's the whole purpose of me changing my life around to sort of include that space in my life because I did it before and so for me I take it upon the chest because I'm like I did a lot of work to get myself to this point you know and it was one of those things that I felt like was just kind of discrediting that you know it was just like 
you, you're not going to tell me that I don't try every day to make sure that I'm respectful, you know? So I, I feel like that was just one of those one-offs. And I told them, I said, I'm sorry, y'all feel this way, but a lot of other people saw it and they had no issue with what I said that are also in the community. So I'm just going to take this and apologize to y'all and y'all can move on about your merry way. <laughs> That's all I did. <laughs> You know, it's a good thing you, you've experienced that moment, you know, while you're at this this phase of peace in yeah. your life, you know, because that'll allow you to look at certain things and you don't necessarily have to internalize it. You're like, okay, this is what it is. I may feel a way, but, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like I have to harp right. on one moment or one thing, you know? Exactly. Now. Yeah. I can take it, uh, you know, take it on the chin and move on. And I think that came with getting a little bit more popular on social media before I only had like, before 2020, I had like 4,000 followers and, you know, that's still a good, a good amount, you know, to me, you know, <laughs> but you know, by actor standards, people were always hitting me up and being like, you ain't nobody because you don't even have over 10,000 followers and you're not even verified, blah, 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 blah. And so like, once I got verified, then my followers started shooting up instantly, right? And then- So now you somebody. Right, you know, and then now it's, the tune has changed and I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, but it shows, like you said, that sort of disparity, you know, when it comes to how people interact with, certain people versus others, you know, online. And that's why I just stay out of the way. I'm like, I already know the game. I already know the jig is up there. I already know. So you don't have to do all that song and dance with me. I'm gonna just say, okay, and get on. <laughs> that's it. That's, well, I understand. I support you, you know. But being that this whole thing is a topic of like black creatives, I yeah. want to touch on Gray Skies Entertainment and like what yes. made you want to kind of like I don't want to say shifts because like you say you've always you've, you've been creative you've been in this field you've been writing you've been doing all of these things but like you know kind of put you make it a little serious yeah yeah to kind of solidify that space no I mean that's you, what you just said was really kind of my thought process on it I was always like I've been helping people out you know I had long been somebody that was shadow producing on a lot of projects and I'd show up to a set and end up directing pretty much but not get credit for it and I was just like you know whatever but I think really what it was to me was having seen the influx of black media available you know when I started writing and stuff nothing like that was out you know and I was I was at 16 writing Black sci-fi, Black fantasy, you know, Black action, you know, without a white or Asian counterpart to go along with the other Black guy. Like, you know, no no, no disrespect to Rush Hour and the Money Talks and of the world, because I, I literally just watched Money Talks last night. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, I always just recognize the films that were able to have Black leads without having that token white guy, you know, that could make sure they drive up sales. For instance, uh, Double Take, which I feel like should get more shine than it does, Eddie Griffin and Orlando Jones. To me, that's the quintessential idea of what I would like Gray Skies to do. You know, I want films that aren't about being Black. It's not about being Black. It's Black cast in normal situations that you see everybody else in, you know, and that's that, you know, and you don't have to explain why these people are Black or why it's in this certain part of town or whatever. And I just hated that when I was younger. So Grace Guys, once, I would say maybe 10 years ago, I really started seeing 
that influx uh, and I got serious. I started producing first under Everlasting Entertainment, which is my friend's um, production company, Raven Kelly, who was uh, young Tina Turner on What's Love Got to Do With It. Uh, she was also in The Time to Kill, a uh, very great actress in her own right. She started producing and had a project that she um, needed help on and just wanted my input. And from that point, we had shot to a&E, Lifetime, and stuff like that. So I just kind of got my feet wet. And I was like, you know, I'm not bad at this. <laughs> you know, So I was like, you know, at that point, I still didn't have my own thing. But I was really sort of seriously producing under her. And then she moved uh, from LA uh, to start a family in Connecticut. And, you know, really was just kind of having me head everything out here in LA. But because she kind of took things um, it lessened my workload. And so I kind of felt like I was like, well, I could be doing more, you know, and started really being serious about my own projects. I had tons of scripts that I had written throughout my life. And I was just like, let's get serious. So I rewrote a show um, that I had written when I was 17. And I made it into a web series. Um, and once I completed that, it was over with. I was just like, I read it. I had other people read it. People were like, if this was on television right now, it would be my favorite show, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I was just listening to everybody. I was like, okay, I just need to do it. You know, I just need to go ahead and and start this company so that I can really sort of make um, my footprint, you know, when it comes down to this creation game because now that's where everybody's finding success you know you have the key and peels you know you have um shoot even daniel is producing his own stuff now um you know under them um and i think that that's really just a testament of what people are accepting as far as black media like i said it's no longer now that we have to sort of signify that this is a black story you know it's just having us in those spaces. And I think that that's really one of those things that I was prideful about when I created Grace Guys was letting everybody know that this is not gonna, we're not gonna just put anything out, you know? And it's not really, that's not talking about quality. This is talking about tone, you know? It's talking about, I just can't put out a comedy because it's easy. I can't just make a scary film because it's easy, you know? Um, and that's why you haven't seen any work from us because we are constantly, um, evolving our projects. We're constantly building on things that make them not just something that can make us money and set us up for the next thing. Um, right now I have uh, my protege, Brandon Jackson. He's going to be excited that I mentioned his name. That's my way. Brandon Jackson uh, out in Texas, uh, working hard on our fantasy uh, project, which is a sprawling uh, werewolf story that features um, um, all Black actors um, in a fantasy cast talking about our mythical legends like Mami Wada, um, you know, turning Dracula into something that is viable for our community. Um, things like that is in this story. And I think that's really kind of one of those things that I'm, you know, priding myself on that Grace Guys can really put out into the world. Um, because you don't really have those things. Those things always come with... Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what is the thing that's attached to something that you don't need? They always come with. I don't. I want to say baggage, but it's not baggage. Right, but and, it and I comes, feel you. I can see the you know word. What I'm talking about, right? In my head, a hitch. but it I just can't pull it. That's, I just said it. I just said it. A hitch. It always comes with a hitch, right? It always comes with something that it's like. Like for instance, I was very excited to see First Kill on Netflix. Um, very diverse cast. However it talked about it, you know, and, um, and it just really kind of 
uh, it took out the fantasy aspect of me because it always brings me back to the fact that we can't do certain things in the media's eyes. And that's a very real thing. And so it takes me out of the fantasy, which is about fantastical elements and things that don't matter in the real world. If you have me constantly thinking about this thing. So another problem that I have with Bridgerton, you know, everybody's, oh my God, it's so great to see da 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 da. But for me, you know, the first season mentioned, you know, the fact that, oh yeah, there are slaves and oh yeah, I guess, you know, it's kind of weird that we're out here like this and they're serving, but it's okay. And it was just like one scene. And I'm just like, for me, I would just take the scene out. Just take the scene out. We don't even need it. It was just beautiful without it. But the fact that you put me in, that you say that scene, now I'm taken out of the fantasy. Now I'm aware that there are black people serving everyone. And now I'm like, what is the deal? You know, and so for me, it's about not that. It's about all of those things that every time we get taken out of fantasy because we see a black guy and we're like, oh, well, it's the black blah, 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 blah. Like the fact that we're calling, uh, uh, what do you call it? Sam Wilson's version of Captain America, the black Captain America. No, he's Captain America. Miles Morales is not the black Spider-Man. He's freaking Spider-Man, you know? And that is what I want to get away from is having those sections, those boxes that we put ourselves in and other people put us in and just doing away with all of it and just making good stuff, you know, with us in it, you know? So um, we've got a ton of projects on the slate closest to being um, shot and completed is our, our first short film, uh, which is a thriller. Um, that'll be starring me and Michael Perkins uh, off of Hardball. It'll be his major return. He's done a couple of uh, projects, but this is going to be the thing that I think that will sort of put his visibi visibility out there that he's back. Um, he played Kofi in Hardball. You know, it's just, uh, it's really cool. It's really been great to see people like Brandon who are, you know, just very hungry to create stories and, you know, just really sort of do away with, like I said, preconceived notions and and really take it to to the stratosphere. So that's really what we we're striving for. Got a reboot as well. I'm gonna put this out there in the universe. Maybe this will catch some ears. I am currently almost finished with a reboot of Lowdown Dirty Shame, and I turned it into a short film um, that is uh, not as much of a reboot as it is a sequel. Um, and so it's a little bit of both, more like a reimagining, I guess you could say very much a, a Bel Air take, if you will. Um, so I would love if any of the Waynes <laughs> would love to take a look at this, be in it, whatever the case may be, I'm gonna do it. Um, but I just feel like, um, that also represents, you know, the type of things that I want Grace Guys to do. I miss that era of Black action film where it was just so good, so funny, so simple, and just so effective, you know. And I think Low Down Dirty Shame really represents that. And I think Keenan Ivory Wayans and the Wayans family in general represents that sort of trailblazing attitude to put us in those spaces that are just funny, has nothing about to do with the culture. It's just funny you know and and then improving the culture by being just funny and not having it you know be at the forefront I think that's a beautiful thing um because that's what everybody else does you know so for me I want to make sure that we are on that even playing field if not get us a leg up and I think that that's the way to do it that was a very long answer I'm sorry <laughs> but this is your I wanted business. to tell y'all I wanted to give y'all a preview of what to expect with us because like I said, we've been really hard at work. Brandon uh, has been working on this werewolf project for about two years. We've been uh, world building. I mean, when I show you 
the amount of work that we have, the amount of documents that we have, it's insane. And um, I think about how we're so impressed with the Tom Cruises and the James Camerons when they go into preparation for Mission Impossible or for Avatar. And James Cameron's talking about how he's doing all the world building and he's got an ecosystem and all that. And we're always like, oh my God, that's so great. You know, and I'm like, I want to do that. You know what I mean? I, I want to take that time. I don't want to just create I feel like sometimes our fantasy and our sci-fi are half-baked, you know, because because it's like, oh, you should just be happy we're Black people in this kind of film, you know, and it's like, no, I want that whole rich world. I want, you know, I want Wakanda, you know, I want that out of everything, you know, I want that sort of history. So um, I don't want to leave it up to anybody else, though. I want us to do it. So that's why Gray Skies exists. And Gray Skies as a moniker is about the the violent turbulent things necessary to create something beautiful to me that's what a storm is you know it's that cloud that gray thing that comes where you're like oh man it's about to be bad but you know that after that there is greatness i think that because we're rebels because we're probably thought to shake things up that's why i think of us as that sort of storm coming through the industry <laughs> um but know that once the finished products happen, they will be beautiful. So, you know, I'm employing, you know, uh, I'm employing us, obviously, you know, uh, I actually just shot out a uh, email to like personal friends. And I was like, any of my like black female friends who are in the industry right now, I need you. Like, I want you to be on the team uh, because I think that, you know, the voices that need to be heard are are that, you know, Black women make up less than, I think, 1% of all creators when it comes down to what's out there in media. That's crazy to think about. With as many projects as there are in the world, you think about, just count, you know, one section on Netflix, and it's in the 20s, at least, you know, and then you got to move to a different streaming network, and then a different one, and then you think about how much content is there, and to think that we represent less than 5% together black men and women of create of who creates that stuff that's crazy you know so that's really the goal with gray skies is to have everybody who doesn't have a job who wants that kind of creation you know dealing with netflix dealing with hbo dealing with whatever you know that's that's what i want to be is that place for everybody to go um tyler has his studios you know to for everybody to go shoot at i want to be the production house to bring your ideas to you know, if, if everybody can go shoot there, I want everybody to feel comfortable bringing your ideas to me because that's what we specialize in is taking that idea from just an idea or something on paper to something that you can sell. You know, even if I don't make it, I don't, I don't have to make it. I want you to make money from it. That's the goal. <laughs> I want you to be successful from it. So that's, that's who I am. You know, I always tell people email the Grace Guys email, which is a uh, Grace Guys Entertainment. Uh, at gmail.com and email with any kind of, uh, you know, ideas that you have, please make sure they are copywritten. If you do not, I will do it myself. I always tell people protect your ideas. When you email me with something, we instantly do an NDA. I don't play that. <laughs> so um, I don't want your ideas stolen. I don't want you to say I stole your idea. I don't <laughs> want none of it. So um, you are well protected. That is the first order of business when it comes to that. So please, 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 if you have things that are well done, decks, um, you know, outlines, whatever, send them over because that's what we're trying to do. And especially this year, luckily with the, the things that I'm doing this year, I will actually finally have the resources to just do everything myself. Before we were looking for angel investors and things like that. Um, but 
you know, everybody comes with that whole hitch, as we said, that word that we couldn't find before. And they always have to have something that you're doing. Well, well, is this going to get me this? And is it, and even the black ones. And that's the crazy part. You know, I, you know, met several investors that really went the distance and then we got to contracts and it's just like, you know, no, you know, it's just like, it's not going to work out. Um, so finally I'm getting to the point where now I don't even have to worry about that. And it's, I'm very thankful for that, but it's definitely also a responsibility because now I'm putting my own dollars into, into this. And so I have to, now it's even more of a thing for me to really sort of have my hands on and to make sure everything's, you know, up to tip top shape because now it's my money. <laughs> so, so now everybody, everything's going to be perfect now, trust me. <laughs> but, uh, that's where we are. Yeah. That's where we are. We are right on the cusp of actually starting work uh, on a lot of things. So you'll hear a lot from us in the, in the next year. Congratulations. You know, like, <laughs> Thank you. That deserves to be praised. Even mm -hmm. I was young before I knew representation was, I'm like, I didn't see myself just don't look for something I want to watch, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you also got to find that balance of the things that are, you know, yeah. made with black people. And it's, it's very much like you said, you can tell what's authentically created by black people and what's not. Mm -hmm. So yep. then you, one side of the battlefield, the other side, so then you got to find that, yeah. that middle ground. And it's I, hard to find that middle ground. So hard. And it's crazy because I think that um, there's so many Black projects that are considered Black projects from white creators. And at first, I thought that that was a just, in, just insanely bad thing, 100%. Um, after Love Life Season 2, I'm finding myself to be corrected because I believe his name is Sam Boyd. Uh, who who created Love Life, the show on HBO. And it's incredible second season centers around a black man uh, and his love life. And when I first heard about it, I swore up and down that this was all, all it, every writer in person uh, associated with this gotta be black. I mean, blackity black. Cause I was like, it's stuff in here that I ain't, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is, they tell us some secrets. Like I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know? And so- you know, to find that it was created, but that also goes to show the difference between white creators that understand who they have to employ versus ones that think they can do it themselves. And Sam definitely employed a lot of black writers. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, but just his, his uh, awareness, you know, to really sort of create something like that and to not have me watch it as a black man and feel anything was out of place. So I think now, really, instead of saying, I want us, because I definitely, that's the first order of business, is wanting us to create it. But for me, if there's a creator out there that is fine with employing a staff full of Black writers and creating something as beautiful as Love Life Season 2, then I'm all for it. But, you know, our for first order of business is knowing that we can do it ourselves, but all hope is not lost. I think that is one of those things that we really have to understand that unfortunately the industry doesn't see value in that. You know, they don't see value and Sam probably took a big chance on his season two. And, and now to see that his show got canceled because after that season is even more reason to understand how we are so marginalized and bless his heart for really sticking to it and wanting to create the second season to have feature a black cast or a black person um, because he didn't have to, you know, the first season was about a white girl and he could have kept it going, you know, but he wanted it to be that way. So I think that it just takes a lot. It takes a lot of working in that stuff, in that space. Um, it takes a lot of not selling out. 
It takes a lot of us not taking our projects and taking them to a distributor and changing them so much that it's unrecognizable and that now it doesn't even represent what you wanted it to represent and it doesn't reach who you wanted it to reach because now it's all studio-fied, you know what I mean? And I think that that is kind of the biggest problem right now because I, even though it's a low 5%, I've been shocked to see how many shows now are staffed by Black writers or have Black creators. And I'm just like, what? Why can't I tell through this project? Why? Most likely because it's been changed so much that it doesn't even represent me anymore. Like you said, it does, you don't even see yourself. So, you know, you look at, I even, Velma, Mindy Kaling's, uh, right. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Oh, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about it. Okay. You change Shaggy to a black guy and no black person wants to watch this show because you don't represent us. The voices that you have put, not saying Sam Richardson's actual performance, we're saying the writing. The writing of this character does not represent, or your show does not represent what we want to see out of this community, not in the slightest. And so I think that it's things like that, that now we set ourselves a step back when we accept those types of things. Whether you are a worker on the show, whether you indulge in it, or whatever the case may be, you're accepting it. And now you're setting it setting it back because now you're going to have to work twice as hard because when you create something that really does represent us, they're going to be like, but what about this? We had Velma and that was fine. That was, that was on HBO Max. And you're going to be stuck because you're like, damn, you're right. I can't even sell this, what I'm doing right now. But that went. And that's the issue is because that means that those writers, whoever was creating those characters or representing us with that writing had to take those steps and had to do it to keep their job. And and I can't knock that, you know what I'm saying? But I'm saying we are going to be different. You know, my goal is to be different, is to make sure that we are heard and seen and all those things. And that's why I feel it's important to employ Black men and women, because if I'm creating something that's supposed to represent us outwardly, there's no way that I can't have inward representation, <laughs> you know? So that's that's what, it, that's what it starts with. It starts with that creation process. It's funny you brought up that show because, like, I don't know if you've seen, but the black community and Indian community sometimes be going back and forth on Twitter. Definitely. And I've Definitely. never seen such a united front until it came to this show. Man, they and it's crazy because, and you know why? It's because Mindy has been known to be very racist towards her own people, you know, and that and her own community. It just really just kind of feels, you know, sort of, uh, self-hate-ish. A lot of people have called her out for that. You know, you look at all the projects that she's created, all of her love interests have been white, you know, and all of those kind of things. And you start to see why certain things end up the way they do. Now you look at Velma and you go, I get it. Because you look at that person's history and you go, all right, well, it's from that person. So now I get it. And that's why I say for me, it was just always important to represent myself well you know throughout my projects because you know you never know when you get if i'm getting to grace guys up to the point where i can compete with other small production houses you know the monkey paws and all that of the world then what do i look like if somebody goes and says well yeah i know he didn't really represent us you know he he was talking about this and this and that and this doesn't really do what it, what, it, what you think it does, you know? And I, I just don't, I'd never want that. So, um, you know, that's that's why I'm like, nah, I'm gonna I'm keep it in house. <laughs> so, but yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's been It's been a united front on that show. I honestly didn't think it was gonna get that reamed 
because I feel like, you know, that's just the way a lot of animation is going nowadays. It's very brash. It's very um, out there. And it's not smart anymore, very much. It's very shock back. And again, and, and, but that, again, that's not, it's not a dig. I know it's, I'm such an asshole. Uh, so I'm such an Aquarius. Like, you know how you see <laughs> things on Twitter and it's like people ha will post like clips like old cartoon shows and you'll be like, now, why the hell they have us watch this as a child? Because it, they could, you could slide in there. Yeah. Like so now, when you see certain things, it's like it's not smart. They just say it, and it's just, it's just there, and it's, it's shock value. You know, it's, you know, Big Mouth is great. I love it. I laugh so much, but it's just shock. It's shock value. It's it, you literally. There's a a freaking hormone monster <laughs> walking around with people like he's a Pokemon. Like uh, that, there's nothing about that that says undercover or subtle okay so for me i just feel like now what you have is since you have those brash things everything's in your face and you have these people who are now not even hiding the fact that they're not versed on a certain community or not as into a certain culture as we thought they would be now it's just out there for us to see when before it might have been under the cover a little bit but now it's like spotlight you know and so I think to those creators, you have to really just kind of give a shrug to because like you should have known, you know, you you knew what you were getting yourself into. And Big Mouth already has things on lock when it comes to shock value. You got Inside Job, who also had that, but they got canceled in the middle of their second season, which is crazy. Um, and, you know, you got a ton of other carbon copy shows like that bojack from but bojack's good to me uh bojack is smart to me sometimes <laughs> um, when somebody creates a show and not only that but you take a very beloved property in scooby-doo and then you turn it into something that's modernized you got to be ready for the consequences you know you got for instance me Knowing that I'm taking something as as beloved, and even though it's a cult classic, it's not as popular as Scooby Doo, but something like Low Down Dirty Shame comes with a huge responsibility. So I've been they writing it for a whole year. Yeah, people love that movie. That's Jade and Keenan. That's that's those are some people we can't touch. You know what I mean? Don't touch it. Will Will got blackballed over Jade. Okay, you don't talk about Jade, right? You know what I'm saying? So for me, I take it as the people that I not only have acting in it, but just the creation of it in general has to have that sort of reverence because I'm I'm taking something that already existed in the culture and I'm trying to modernize it. That comes with responsibility. I can't just go and be like, all right, let's just make it funny. Like I can't do that because that would be sort of disrespectful and also not the same comedy tone as you know, something like a low down dirty shame. Now, somebody can argue that Mindy might not been have aiming for the same comedy tone as Scooby-Doo, which is probably obvious, but at least you know that the people who watch Scooby-Doo are gonna at least take a look or see this thing. <laughs> and it's so funny because my girlfriend's mom loves Scooby-Doo, like loves Scooby-Doo. Seeing every episode can recall certain monsters and stuff. And she watched one episode, she, she called us. It was like, have y'all seen? There you go, right? There you go. I That's her. Got, I ordered these maybe like two months ago because I wanted to relive my childhood. <laughs> that's wild. See? And that's it. She was so upset. She's like, they didn't take him Scooby-Doo and just, just, just bastardized it. <laughs> she was so upset. And, you know, and looking at that and I say, 
she had to know that that was going to be her main audience. Like, yes, we, our generation was going to watch it too, but the people who were going to look forward to it were going to be the 40-year-old men and women who want a piece of their childhood back, who knew they loved Scooby-Doo, and boom, here's a new one. That's going to be the main thing because there's nobody under 20 looking at that and being like, hey, I got to watch me some Scooby-Doo. Nobody. None. Okay. None. And you can put as many dick jokes as you want in the trailer and it's not going to matter. Okay. And that's what I feel like would happen. It was like, let's just put a whole bunch of sex jokes and a whole bunch of inappropriate stuff in it and just uh, let's see what happens. And it's just like, you can't do that. Uh, I, at least for me as a viewer, you can't. So. I hope, well, I'm actually in the works with an animated project as well. I guess I can go ahead and talk about that real quick. <laughs> um, called Adventures of Kismet and Destiny uh, by a very uh, cool creator in the UK, um, actually. And he is just a, just an amazing talent. Um, and uh, he's created just something that I feel like is very reminiscent. Uh, kind of gives me um, Grim Adventures vibes. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember that cartoon, um, but just yeah, better. Listen, you know? I still want to know how they had a Jamaican skeleton. <laughs> listen, listen, man, it's it, it was great. And I think that this show just sort of really kind of expands that idea and um, and really takes it and just turns it on its head. Very, very good. We've already got some art and stuff going for that. So I'm really excited. That's going to take a little bit longer, though, because animation, as you know, it just to me, I think animation is one of the lasting forms of media. Well, it used to be, you know, a cartoon will be on forever. You know, you got Simpsons at 20 years. You got all these cartoons that Fairly Odd Parents made it to 18. You know what I mean? So it's like, you look at that and I'm like, if I'm creating a cartoon, I got to be ready for <laughs> the years to come. So we're currently really sort of fleshing a lot of stuff out. Um, so that's really kind of um, going to be one of those baby projects that I'm just going to really sort of cultivate um, throughout the year. Um, but I'm excited, you know, and I hope to to have that be something that's super smart. Um, just very brief synopsis. It's about a um, a underworld school, basically, if I can kind of sort of give a general thing and not too specific. Um, and basically, it is the training for all the sort of monster-like characters in our world. Um, and um, but as children, but as you can imagine, I at like school. That. Yeah, as at a school with all of these sort of monsters um, and that it's really one of those things that we really kind of take liberty with the world. So, you know, the school has very much uh, supernatural properties and almost as a character in and of itself, you know, um, so we also have a very, very uh, unique headmaster. I don't want to say anything about him, but um uh, maybe not as funny as the Jamaican voice, <laughs> Grim Reaper, but we also have a Reaper headmaster who is very cool. Um, so I think that it's just, uh, it's really cool to see something like that, that I've been sort of in practically all my life, you know, when it comes to animation. And now I'm creating something of my own in that space. So uh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I'm actually no, I'm excited about that like that actually like just off of that little brief description like that actually makes me like hmm yeah and Kismet and Destiny I don't know if you know but those are the mythological uh children of death I don't know if you know so you know those are that's what we're representing it as um and they just sort of go through their own thing um they're both uh little black children 
So, uh, you know, and it, it's just really great. Uh, and, and this is, comes from, this is great because um, Sam, who is actually <laughs> another Sam creator, um, who is my co-creator on this, he's, uh, he's not black. Um, and again, he, he himself said, I would like these children to be black. Um, you know, because I want, he's, 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 uh, in the LGBT community, um, but he wanted that representation and he really, he really, really did. And I, and I asked him, I said, it's not just cause I'm, black. <laughs> you know, I was really frank and he's like, no, 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 this is the vision that I had, you know, in my mind when I created this. So, uh, I'm very thankful, you know, to sort of, you know, be a part of what I talked about earlier, like with love life and having someone who really feels like they want to give those opportunities to other people, you know, to, to see representation and to also create something that feels like they can be represented with. So shout out to Sam Nifton over in the UK, if you're listening to this. <laughs> so this whole conversation, your whole career, everything that you've done, everything that you want to do, what does it mean to you to be a Black creator? Wow. Originator. Um, that's the first word I think of. And, you know, creator, it, people think it's synonymous with originator, but it's not. You can create something that's already been done. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think that as Black creatives, we don't get recognized enough for being originators, you know, um, with our creations. And I think that, you know, everything that we've done up until this point has been followed by, you know, other forms of media, other cultures, other demographics. Um, and I think that that's something that I want to pride myself on as a Black creator is just being somebody who, when you look at the projects that I created, you're going to go, there's nothing like that. There's just, you know, it, that just exists in its, in its own bubble. And even if there's something that has a similar aspect, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like this, you know what I mean? Um, uh, I just, all of my favorite things that's how I feel you know with you know I always go you know yeah there's other action shows but they're not Banshee which is my favorite action show you know or I say there's plenty of comedies sure friends you might giggle a little bit but it's not living single you know and so and you look at those things and those are originating things you know and so I look at that and I really just pride myself in wanting to be that type of creator even with my acting you know when people look at you know my work and they call me a you know a black creator and you know the main thing that I represent is my acting career because it's the thing I've been doing the most and I look at that and I say even with my roles you know people will look back and even if they don't know my name <laughs> they go that one guy that guy that looks like Taj <laughs> or, or not Taj or whatever they say you know I people know who I am you know, they, they, they look and they go, that guy, that role, I, I, I definitely remember that. And nobody did it like that. You know, every time I post, you know, me on Living Single and Family Matters and Cosby, it was like, no kid was doing that. And no, you know, and I, that was the early stage of my career. And if I started like that, then I have to keep going like that, you know, in my opinion. So everything that I do is always about what's fresh. How can we move, move it forward, but still also incorporating the things that we know and loved for all these years, because that's a part of what makes us, us, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's our culture. 
So it's really just expanding those ideas on everything that we've had um, as originators and seeing what we can take it to as far as new heights. How can we raise the bar of creation? A lot of people always talk about raising a bar, but you're talking about the final bar. I'm talking about the beginning bar. You know, how do we start with that bar raised? Because we're always trying to catch up. We're always trying to come from behind and we always got to, you know, get to the point of the other demographics or get to the views of the other culture, you know, and I don't want that anymore. You know, I want to make sure that we're starting at zero like everybody else. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's what I envision myself as. And when, when everything is said and done and finished and I'm in the, you know, the heyday of gray skies, I just want people to look at it and just say, I enjoyed those projects. You know, nothing else, nothing more. I don't want people to think that the greatest thing since sliced bread or anything like that. I don't want you thinking that it's perfect because nothing's going to be for everyone, period. Right. You know what I mean? So for me, it's just about, I know how I am as a consumer. And I know when I go to the movies or I go to watch TV shows, I'm looking at those performances and I'm looking at this story and I'm like, I'm feeling it. I love it. You know, I love what I do. I love the creation aspect of what I do. So as a black creator, it's about taking that feeling that I have as a consumer and finding out how to maximize that as a creator. Cool. Now, how can I make everybody who sees my work feel how I'm feeling? right now when I'm watching my favorite things or I'm watching my favorite black creator do their, do the damn thing. Regina King, every time I see Regina, I'm like, Jesus, I, you are just insane woman. Like what? You know what I mean? And like, I want to feel that. I want people to feel that way when now Grace Guys or I'm mentioned later in my career. That's all, you know? Uh, nobody thinks Regina King is perfect or think that, well, some people do. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's, you know, the industry as a whole, you know, she's not the number one, but there's nobody in the world probably that's going to discredit her, you know? And that's the goal, I think. That's the thing that I think is more powerful than being at the top is being so that nobody can say you're at the bottom or anywhere near. I think that's way better because everybody at the top is going to be gunned for. You're going to have something wrong with you. As soon as you reach that top, there's going to be something wrong, something wrong with you. And I like people who are go who will go, I always remember that. He's a legend, but I'm never going to reach that point where you can talk shit about me. <laughs> and I want it that way. You know why? Because the people who have mastered that are the people that are are in it for the long haul and those are the people that are really behind hollywood how people are like oh they look at the tylers and they look at the oprahs and all that yeah but those people they have their fortunes but it comes with a huge price huge huge price you know what i mean and love them as much as i do but it's just one of those things you've reached that point now where you're under that microscope and everything that you do is going to be looked at and analyzed and if you make a mistake it's going to be it's going to be known and so for me, it's not about hiding from my mistakes, but more so about not giving anyone ammo to shoot at me with, <laughs> you know what I mean? Regardless of whether I deserve it or not, I'm not going to give you the ammo. Why would I give you the ammo? <laughs> you know, so for me, I'm going to make it so that my projects are so solid, so fresh, so inventive, that the only thing you can say is how much you enjoyed it and how much you can't wait to see the next thing. Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of the Black Creators Matter Podcast and of course with Gary L. Gray. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed and I hope that you subscribe for more episodes along the way. And please visit InquisitiveCarter.com for the latest.